And it's exactly quarter past seven here on Radio Veritas 576 on uh, Matins. Time for us now to speak to Father Russell Pollitt and get his Catholic comment on a Thursday. Father Russell. Good morning, Kanye. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. And how are you, Father? Good and yourself. I'm great. Thank you. So it's a Thursday in the first week of Lent. How do you feel? Um, it's been a long week. Um, if you think about it, Lent just started last week, and uh, we've had so much change in this country in a week that if that's what one week of Lent brought on, can you imagine what's going to happen after five? Imagine. <laughs> two two big things that we've had, of course, uh, well, three things, actually. The new president, well, four, the resignation of the old president, uh, the new president, uh, the State of the Nation address, and the budget speech yesterday. And, of course, uh, in the church, uh, we've had uh, the uh, Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, uh, Pope Francis reappointing uh, some people and uh, appointing new members. Uh, and we know that Sister Hermenegald Makoro uh, has been reappointed uh, to this as well. Indeed, which is very important because I think Pope um, Francis has, in the last couple of uh, months since that commission's mandate lapsed in I think it was, uh, been highly criticized for not moving fast on reappointing or appointing this commission. Uh, many people have sort of uh, wondered what's really going on. Uh, many people have wondered whether he decided not to do it, uh, whether this uh, child safeguarding thing was uh, going to really be taken seriously. And on Saturday, this commission was uh, once again uh, Announced, and as you say, there were eight people who were on it previously who were not uh, on the new one, eight new people. So that commission will uh, once again function. And Sister Emeni Guild Mokoro, the secretary of the Bishops' Conference from South Africa, is one of the people that Francis appointed to that. Um, she, you know, she was on it before, and obviously. The Holy Father recognized the work that she did, and he has um, reappointed her to be to be part of that commission. And that commission is a very important one, given the recent history of the Church. Uh, you know, the, the commission that's investigating, that's putting forward protocols, that's uh, helping the Church to deal with the terrible scourge of child sex abuse, uh, which we know has plagued the Church in the last, uh, you know, decade or so, especially after the revelations of what happened in Boston in 2002. So um, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting move. Um, you know, Cardinal O'Malley, who is the Archbishop of Boston, who had a massive mop-up operation uh, after the last um, Archbishop was there, where Boston described as the kind of epicenter of, of sex abuse, still heads up uh, that commission. And I have been wondering to myself why that commission has found it so difficult to do their work, because I think that's, that, that was what we were hearing last year, that it, when some people resigned, they were saying this commission is finding it very hard to do its work, it's been blocked by various people in the Vatican, and, um, you know, it seems as if not everybody in the Church, in the Vatican, is on board about this commission. There are people that uh, don't really, uh, are not comfortable with the, with, with the commission, and therefore, those working in many of the curial offices seem at times to be obstacles uh, to, or at least that's the perception one has given, obstacles to 
you know, the, the functioning of this commission. Uh, and I was sort of reflecting, saying to myself, in some ways, Pope Francis has got the same problem that Cyril Ramaphosa, I think, is going to face. And that, you know, you, you want people to be reading off the same page, and yet there's a lot of resistance. I mean, there are a number of people working in those Vatican curial offices we, we seem to see again and again who are uh, rather difficult and um, not always willing to implement the things that uh, the Pope is trying to get through, the changes he's trying to make, the, 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 the kind of change in the, in the mindset and the culture. And, uh, yeah, in South Africa, the more I think about it, the more I'm wondering how much of that is also going to be Saul Ramaphosa's uh, uh, big challenge to try and get people reading off the same page as he is. Yeah, being a leader, you know, it takes all these things. And, of course, uh, uh, one has to have the support of uh, the people that uh, you appoint uh, to to certain duties, their support, uh, but also, you know, for them to, to, to be passionate in carrying out uh, the mission or the mandate uh, uh, in each case. Exactly, and that's the big challenge. And, you know, that Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, I mean, when Mari Collins, the abuse survivor from Ireland who resigned last year, she cited her resignation because of the frustration she felt that uh, the CDF was not processing the cases that they had put forward. It was decided that once the PCPM, the Pontifical Commission for Protection of Minors, once it had done whatever it was supposed to do, the, the, the cases were meant to go to the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. And she accused Cardinal Muller, who was the then prefect of the Doctrine of Faith, of not doing anything about it. And apparently these cases just piled up, and the CDF had more than 2,000 cases sort of just on the desk and, hmm. you know, not, not, not being processed or whatever. Well, Pope Francis removed Cardinal Muller and put Archbishop Ladaria in charge of the CDF, and there was a big uh, sort of, uh, you know, people, some people were very unhappy about that, and Muller himself then went around saying that, you know, he got fired for no reason type of thing. Um, but but those, kinds of, those are the kind of problems. So, you know, the PCPM, their work is, 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 is limited by the, the, their ability to get other people in the curia to continue on, what the, on, on the foundation that they've built and to continue the process once they've investigated things or once they have rewritten protocols and things like that. So, so you know, it's a, it's a, it's a multi-pronged thing, uh, you know, um, and I think, uh, yeah, it is difficult, and it is a big leadership problem. I mean, there's a big leadership gap that, uh, you know, those who perhaps are able to give direction, give new vision and inspire are not always backed up by the people that are meant to support them, their closest collaborators. Yes, you know, it's uh, yeah, it, it, it's quite something, and this is something that happens, of course, in parishes as well. If we bring it down to that level, uh, that you have a priest uh, who has a vision, and then uh, uh, say, for example, a, a PPC chairperson who doesn't necessarily support that vision, uh, <laughs> and so the whole thing really comes down to it collapses along the way. Absolutely, and you have the same problem the other way around as well, that sometimes 
you know, PPC has a vision, and uh, the priest doesn't share that vision, and he is the person who maybe is, is problematic in trying to implement the vision, or he's got a, a vision of his own. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, this, this, is, this is a human problem. But, you know, when you're dealing with things like the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, the, the, this is not a small problem. This is a massive problem because the whole credibility of the papacy and its ability to deal with this very, very, um, uh, you know, um, um, hard um, sort of situation in the, in the church, uh, deplorable situation in the church, is, is hampered. It would be interesting, Father, to know what sort of uh, cases have been brought uh, to the Commission and uh, what the results have been, and how many of those as well. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even know. I mean, I don't even... I, I, one doesn't read or find out things about that. 25 minutes after 7 o'clock on Radio Veritas 576 AM. Father Russell Pollitt, uh, Director of uh, Jesuit Institute in South Africa, on the line with us. Now, Father, the budget speech yesterday. Your thoughts? Uh, uh, it seems uh, it, it's, it's really affecting many people unfavorably in South Africa. Yeah, I, you know, Fania, I really don't think it was a very good one. Um, I am... Um, I, in fact, last night I published a piece on Africa about this, and I, I take the I mean, it's a very quick glance because it's, first of all, it was a very long budget. I mean, it's 28 typed pages of that speech. It's the longest budget for a while. I mean, you know, almost two hours, I think it was, something mm-hmm. like that, um, that Kigaba spoke for. Um, and there was a lot of fluff. I mean, there was a lot of stuff in there that one says, you know, actually meant nothing. It was padded, you know, with, with, with sort of platitudes and things like that. So for me, the main question is, what does the budget say to the poor? And we must be very careful here, because, you know, I think that um, when one talks about the poor, people immediately go and look at the thing and say, oh, but look, they've increased social grants. Look, they've increased uh, this and that, the next thing. Uh, They're not putting up personal tax, uh, you know. The two main areas that affect the poor very severely are A, VAT, because everybody pays VAT, and VAT, by economists, is called a regressive tax. In other words, it doesn't discriminate between high-income earners and low-income earners. Everybody's treated the same. It's a thing of one size fits all. Yes. This is very dangerous to, to, to do that, and I'm in some ways quite surprised that the ANC in an election year chose to increase that because anybody who does that surely knows that this is not the kind of message that people want to hear. But they're between a rock and a hard place. And most of the problem occurs through two issues. The first one is corruption and the amount of money that's gone missing. The country is now beginning to realize the severe damage that corruption has done to the state, that the state has really got depleted coffers because of the amount of money that just disappeared. That's the first thing. The second thing is that announcement that Zuma made on the 16th of December. So once again, we need to say, yes, indeed, education, 
or higher education for those who are capable, who come from poor households, should be something that we help people with. And given the historical context of this country, this is something which is praiseworthy. However, you cannot make a sudden announcement where you're committing 57 billion rand of the country's budget to something with no consultation, no warning, just out of the blue, you pull the rabbit out the hat and you present this to, to, to the country. Well, you have to find 57 billion rand. Mm-hmm. So, in a very ironic move, the poor who stand to benefit from education, higher education, are the same poor that are being taxed to pay for that, through that. You know, I mean, that's what it boils down to in many ways. The fuel levy increase, 52 cents, 52 cents a litre. That's a massive increase. Once again, it's an area that's going to hit the poor especially hard because what's going to happen? Taxi fares are going to go up. So, A, your transport to work is going to be uh, more expensive. Number two, most goods in this country are moved along the roads between the ports and the cities and from manufacturing in, say, Gauteng down to Cape Town, whatever the case is. So immediately the cost of transport is going to go up substantially. What's going to happen? Those people who are selling those goods are simply going to pass the 52 cents increase in fuel levy on to the ordinary consumer, onto the poor. So we can expect an across-the-board upping of prices on everything. So you're going to have an increase in price and you're going to have an increase in tax. And this is this is this is uh, this is not um, this is not good news uh, at all. And so, for all the euphoria that was created last week and the sense of a new dawn by uh, the, the president in his state of the nation, uh, you know, yesterday Gigaba certainly brought us back to earth with quite a thud. We fell quite hard, uh, you know, um, when it, when it came to uh, um, you know the, the budget. Another interesting thing I read, which I think is also worth considering. So, you know, Gigaba announced uh, all those increases for for the poor. Uh, So, you know, the disability and old age and care uh, dependency grant goes from 1,600 rand to 1,690 rand. He obviously hopes by October he's got got more money because in October he's promised another 10 rand increase. So you're going to go from 1,600 to 1,700 rand. Uh, for for that, uh, the same with the child support grant. It's going to go from 380 to 400 now, and then in October to 410. So he said, uh, you know, quite boldly that this is a 7.9 increase in total for people uh, who, who receive social grants. Taxa, the Peter Maritzburg um, um, Christian Action uh, Group who do the food basket every month, I see they released a statement yesterday, and they said they worked out on the basic foodstuffs, the, 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 the new VAT, so this is not including price increases, the new VAT rate alone is going to take 25 rand uh, out of, out of, out of, the, out of their, their basic foodstuff yes. basket. So yes. it's going to be 25 rand more just on the VAT. This is not the increase in the food. So if you start to think about the increase in food, maybe you're going to get up to a total of 35 rand or maybe even 40 rand. So in effect, the 100 rand that you're giving to the old age is only going to land up in 60 rand. So they're not really scoring. They're not really scoring.
So I don't, I don't think it was. I don't think it was a. It was a budget that showed little vision. It was a budget that showed little strategy. The government said nothing about how they're going to deal with unemployment. And I see one economist is written to say, well, you know, actually this is just a budget of maintenance. It's not a budget that is looking to increase anything or to deal with unemployment, but rather it's just all, it's the same old, same old sort of uh, trying to just maintain things in a situation where things are pretty bad. And uh, Father Russell, you end uh, in your piece, uh, or you start in your piece by saying Pope Francis celebrated the first World Day of the Poor uh, on the 17th of November. And uh, at this Mass, uh, he said that the poor were our passport to paradise and that it was our evangelical duty to care for them. And uh, you're saying while Finance Minister Melissa Gigaba may envisage uh, paradise, one has to ask whether he, this budget really takes care of the poor. And uh, that's basically what you're saying. It's always that, the cry of the poor. Exactly, you know, and he says, um, you know, it's going to be a tough but hopeful budget as well. He said right at the beginning of his budget speech, um, I think it's going to be a lot less hopeful and a much tougher, and it's going to be toughest for the poor. You know, even if you think of things like the national health insurance that he put 4.2 billion rand into, once again, this is a noble thing to do to give people access to health. But then you listen to ordinary South Africans who go to state facilities to, you know, get their medication or see a doctor, and you hear how bad the service delivery is, how bad the implementation is, how people are treated, you know, in a subhuman way very often. Uh, in these kinds of facilities. So that 4.2 billion rand is good money, which is being put put towards healthcare. But are we actually going to see, you know, a qualitative increase in the services that are offered to people to make it efficient so that that money works well and to the advantage of people? Because at the moment, that's not happening. Uh, you, You know, you just have to listen to stories about places like Joburg Gen or many of the outlying clinics, you know, where doctors don't show up or people have to come three, four days in a row and sit in a long queue and they're not helped or they're told, oh, no, no, after waiting for a whole day, no, you, you mustn't go here, you must go there. And th- this has a cost to people as well. So once again, a noble thing to do, but, you know, is, do, are, we dealing, are we dealing with, a, with, 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 a, with people who have the ability to implement this and to implement it well? And I think there's a massive question around that. And so therefore, at the end of the day, that money that's allocated to that is just squandered or, or, or used, you know, and, and it doesn't actually benefit and enrich the quality of people's lives. Father Russell, we'll have to leave it at that. You have a great day, Father. Thank you very much, Fanya. You too. All the best. And that's Jesuit Institute Director Father Russell Pollitt for his Catholic comment this Thursday Thursday morning.